comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. not for oral consumption. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the last episode of Blind Buy. This is it, the season finale. You can still enter to win all the movies in season one. Maybe this episode will change your mind if you haven't already. Go follow at Blind Buy on Twitter and like Blind Buy Podcast on Facebook. And while you're there, check the details on how to enter. I wrote a drinking game for you and everything. It'll be fun. Just go do it. No, 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 no. Stop the music. No monologue. This is a dark day in my life. There's a spiritual successor to This Is Spinal Tap. It has an all-star cast, it was nominated for an Oscar, I have never heard of it, and I found it in a bargain bin. I am so confused, what the f*** is going on? I'm, I'm just gonna jump right into this episode. Next segment. So welcome back to Burger King, a Bloody Brody adventure. We are joined here with Bloody Brody. Ew. And uh, we also have a very special guest. Uh, we have Rob from the Firefly Podcast. Hey, you silly f- <laughs> I'm just really interested after hearing the last few episodes to see how you do that. <laughs> you want to hear the orchestra? You want to hear the notes change? I, I, I want to. Yeah, I want to <laughs> hear a tune. Just be like. <laughs> I've had that f-ing idea too, and like. <laughs> thoughts all over my fucking head and i didn't want to wait 10 goddamn minutes into this episode before we got to hear the fucking talent that clairvoyant was gonna drop you don't have to hear it you don't have to wait till the end what song was that you can hear it right now so we are our own fucking band we just wrote a fucking song i hate you guys so much for how much editing i'm gonna have to do in this episode <laughs> I told you I was going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're here with Rob Weeks from the Firefly <laughs> Podcast. Uh, he's having a good time. Possibly too much to drink. Who knows? Not enough. <laughs> uh, so, Rob, tell us a bit about your show. Uh, Firefly Podcast is a real-played nerd show where we play Dungeons & Dragons in space with lasers and cowboys. And if you know what Firefly is and you know what Dungeons & Dragons is... That that pretty much describes it. Yeah, and Rob, if you've listened to the Weedinverse podcast, we've had him on there at least once. Um, it's lots of fun. We never we never get started. We never get recording because we just talk. You'll hear that in the blooper reel. Yeah, for the most part. <laughs> and, I I think with Weedencast, it took us well. It took us three different tries across two recording sessions, and like three hours of audio for for one episode. I yeah I think that sounds correct, yeah. 
That was Mr. Universe's fault, and we'll stick him to it. That's why he's not here. Because <laughs> he's an asshole. And so now we're going to get to the movie that we'll review today. So the movie we're reviewing today is A Mighty Wind from 2003. It's 91 minutes long, directed by Christopher Guest. Now, I did not know this movie existed. Aside from Spinal Tap, I didn't know that this guy had any sort of series of documentary-style uh, parodies. So it's it's really this is new to me, and it's really bizarre. It's like a second chance. It's like you watched uh, Spinal Tap, and now you get more. I knew the movie existed only because no. the local paper had <laughs> a uh, a review or a headline. I don't know. Me and my wife both remember it when I told her I was watching this movie. It said, A Mighty Wind Blows. <laughs> and, like, that's the only thing I knew about this movie until I watched it last night. When you have a movie Blow. title like this, you're kind of setting it up for stuff like that. You're asking for it. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, like, a band called, like, Silence, and it's like, oh, I wish they were silent. And oh, like... there's so many band names that I've gone through with me and my drummer, and I'm like, here's how you pun that. Here's how you pun that. And so we literally, we can't come up with a band name for anything. It took our singer just randomly ripping off a uh, a Johnny Cash song, you know? You're like, here's how you could write a bad review of this. Local reference, puns of the San Joaquin. (laughs) Somebody from Fresno will listen to this and get it. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie starts with the Warner Brothers logo, followed by the Castle Rock Entertainment logo. And I only point that out because... I'm so happy <laughs> because how badly I've missed like big studio logos that, you know, I mean, the last one had MGM, which is bankrupt, but <laughs> these guys, you know, oh, it's, it brings a tear to the eye. It boasts a semblance of quality. It got scared. I was like, are you going that detailed? We're going, we're going to do a really <laughs> long episode, <laughs> but yeah, I get what you're saying after hearing the first few episodes. Especially the first one. That one hurt. <laughs> that one really, really hurt. Like Agreed. I, I saw it. I saw that movie. And <laughs> the first one? Yeah. It hurt me as a child and it hurt me to listen to you two experience it together. <laughs> so. I actually liked that movie. No, well, it was, no you didn't. In, I I kinda liked it. It had its moments. <laughs> I hated the ending. I know that much. So this movie actually starts with a newscaster giving an in-memoriam speech to Irving Steinblum, 1920-2003. He was a man who was apparently a key figure in the folk music scene in the mythology of this movie. And he guided the careers of the main street singers, the folksmen, and the duo Mitch and Mickey. And I get the feeling immediately that these people are going to be important, and not just because I recognized Harry Shearer and Eugene Levy among the names. So can we just take like a moment to marvel at the fact that, if nothing else, we have Harry Shearer and Eugene Levy in this movie? <laughs> I've never had higher hopes for a movie on this podcast. I was disappointed when I saw the cast. Like, I I signed up for this, honestly, Clairvoyant, to to shred something. And I started seeing the cast, and I'm like, what happened? This is supposed to be like a... A bargain bin adventure. This isn't adventurous. This is just like, hey, here's a hundred people you love. <laughs> make fun of them. Make yeah. fun of them. <laughs> I mean, like, the, the person that I can make fun of most in this movie is not even her fault. It's just genetics. 
<laughs> Which is sad, and we'll get there at some point. But yeah, Harry Shearer is like he's fantastic. And and can we name a couple other people, or are we going in order? We can go for it. Bob Balaban's in here. Uh, Fred Willard. But yeah, Fred oh. Willard, amazing <laughs> as uh, Michael LaFontaine. And <laughs> what happened? Owen oh, <laughs> uh, cracked me up. Jane, Jane Lynch. We have yeah. Parker Posey. We have Parker Posey. I actually I recognized her, and I had to look her up. And I was like, "Who? I know who that? Who is that?" And then I looked her up, and I was like. Oh, it's higher. Oh, all right. <laughs> of course, we have Christopher Guest and Michael McKean. Michael uh, McKean of Spinal Tap fame, and like basically one of the first people you see. And uh, like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, he didn't, he didn't do his homework on this one. <laughs> well, when Clairvoyant told me about like this movie, he's like, it looks pretty bad, but it's got Eugene Levy in it. And I'm like, it looks bad, but it's also well, Eugene Levy would do this podcast for a sandwich, but. <laughs> but this was the He's one got I picked that out. American Pie money. <laughs> this was the one that I picked out that I had the highest hopes for when I did pick it out. Like, if any of these are going to be decent, it's going to be this one. Uh, but you know, it's also a bargain bin movie, so high hopes don't aren't very high. Yeah, you just drew that. Yeah. So we cut to Bob Balaban walking through an office building, talking about how yes, we got all three folksmen on board. Uh, he then we cut to him talking about how his father was a great man, and we realize that this is Jonathan Steinblum, the deceased Irving's son. He says a fitting memorial would be the concert of all the bands he represented, which was in two weeks because it was the only window of time open at Town Hall. So that's setting up the plot of the movie. That's what this is about: uh, organizing this concert for the deceased Irving Steinblum. And uh, not to worry, though, he's very organized. So he explains how, as a kid, he organized a Jewish children's polo league, which segues beautifully into an anecdote about his overprotective mother who made him wear a helmet during chess so he didn't impale himself on a pointy bishop. And, <laughs> and then they, they rode the picture, and it's and th- awesome. And then they rode the Chetland ponies instead of horses. Cause because it's if he's going to fall, he might. He should he fall should from fall. very high. Yeah. <laughs> I like. It feels like everything in this movie is improvised because it's in the Christopher Guest style. But the thing is, is, I think the great part is it's improvised. But then it's like they go back and like film it or take pictures. Uh, so it's like they say something, but then they can back it up. <laughs> I I I don't know how much of it because I think there might be the odd joke written. But uh, I was watching this with a friend, and he said that a lot of their stuff is improvised. And at some time, at some points, you can actually. Tell. I swear everything by the say. Spinal Tap yeah. trio says. I don't think yeah. a single line was scripted. What yeah. uh, um the shit, what was the name of them? The Folksman. The Folksman. Or yeah, the Tubadors. The tube. The Tubadors, and then we didn't have a middle, and we needed somewhere because yeah. we're the high and the low. Everything that they did, yeah, was definitely improv. And uh, Michael McKean and Harry Shearer. 100% amazing in that. And and the other guy, I forget his name. Christopher Gitt, the director, Chris, writer, yeah. composer. Yeah. Movie. That's the thing is like he's – we were talking about it. He, like to me, he's the camouflage guy. He never looks like who he is, even he's, though I've seen everything he's done. Nigel Tufnell. He's, yeah, he does I, like, not look like Nigel even, at all. How, yeah, right? And and there was, uh, there was something that I saw online in like the quotes or whatever. Um they actually went on stage as 
the 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 folksman before the Spinal Tap actual concert and got booed because nobody realized what the f*** was going on, <laughs> that these are the same people in different costumes playing different songs. That's great, yeah. And nobody nobody understood that. And I, I, heard... I just I was like, the f***ing genius of that is amazing. And I, I actually... think they were in the second made-for-TV Spinal Tap movie as the Folksman as well. That's what I heard. I heard that existed. I didn't verify it, but I hope I didn't know that existed at all. Now I have to go look it up somewhere. But, I... and, and can I say that everything that the folksmen do, like, actually sounds good to me? Yeah, that, agreed. agreed. They they sing well. They interact well. They play their instruments well. And the the coolest thing about this entire movie is every single actor wrote and produced and played their own instruments and actually sang with their own voices, which you can really tell was Eugene Levy because he puts the affectation on really strong, but it fits his character. But as a musician, I really appreciate what they did with this movie because it's basically the opposite of pop, and that's what folk is. And it was amazing. I loved it. I'm not even a folky. I loved it. I was just in love with the music of this movie. I'm, I'm probably going to get the soundtrack for it just because I love the Folksman so much. I was just going to say, like, even not even just the Folksman, like, the rest of the stuff, too. Like, all the music's really good. And I really want, I also really want the soundtrack for this. Oh, Mitch I, and Mickey was, I mean, phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Like, I listened to A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow, like, 20 times after watching this movie. <laughs> you just loaded up the YouTube uh, kiss at the end of the rainbow for 10 hours video. Yeah. And then, and then I actually learned it <laughs> on guitar and I started playing and singing it. Oh my God. Can you, can you really? Not now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I will learn it. I've, I've got my bass and my guitar. I will learn how to play it, but I will not sing it with you. I, I can't oh. do Mickey. I, I might, oh. I mean, I could totally do Mickey, but uh, I can't do I'll Mitch. S- I'll sing if you harmonize. <laughs> Watch, like, for the last episode, we'll just do a three-way performance. <laughs> so If we get- you weren't the one editing it, I would just cut it a three-way. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get some old footage. The whole movie's documentary style, so it jumps a lot. Uh, of the folksmen performing. And like, my first thought is, that, holy shit, it's Spinal Tap. Like, it's Michael McKean, <laughs> Christopher Guest, and Harry Shearer. It's literally a folk music Spinal Tap. And that makes me really happy. And they're super good. Yeah, they are. They're great. Christopher Guest has this very, like, uh, he almost does, like, a Bob Dylan thing when he sings the folk thing. He has this weird, like, waver, and it's really like, wow. And- yeah, <laughs> it really, and it really gets you during the credits, too, because they, they repeat that song in the credits, and he just hits it real hard with the vibrato like harder than anything i've ever heard since jim carrey sang don't you want somebody to love and the cable guy just (laughs) it's insane i love it can i point out one crazy thing okay so in in every scene or almost every scene the characters of the folksmen are always in a specific order like the way they stand and who they stand next to. Yeah, and it's always it's Harry Shear, Michael McKean, Christopher Guest. It's and even with Spinal Tap, the, yeah. No, in that order. And then if you Google any picture of Spinal Tap, almost every picture will be that same order, <laughs> except the very first time you see the Folksman, because then it's Michael McKean on the right and Harry Shear on the left. That feels yeah. wrong. It right? does. It feels awkward. And like, there's the odd. I, I did notice that. 
and there's the odd picture of Spinal Tap where it's not exactly the same, but it's crazy how they keep that same fucking pattern. <laughs> Yeah, they've there's there's a lot of things about uh, uh, Harris here and Mike McKean to where there's patterns in all the work that they do, and it's just really weird. Shit. And I think it's for nerds that actually notice that stuff, like us. You know what I mean? Do, do you I think, think it's it's pretty cool? Do you think it's like intentional? Oh yeah, I don't think they do anything unintentionally, especially McKean and Shear. I think that's they a are very, very well thing. thought out. Oh, I mean, there's stuff as simple as like the pill bottle in um, with uh, Eugene Levy. Like they move it and then they move it back. And I think they do it just to see if someone's noticing. Because to me, it's not a continuity error. Because how easy is it just not to touch the table? The table has nothing to do with any scene in the entire movie. It's just got shit sitting on it and nobody ever touches it. So nothing would move. So the yeah. only reason for something to move is because somebody did it on purpose. That's Eugene Levy f***ing with the audience. You know? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah. So we cut to the folks been reuniting years later as old men. It's like they're old buddies. And <laughs> it really bothers me how much uh, Derek, Derek Smalls, <laughs> Harry Shearer, <laughs> how much he sounds like his character Reverend Lovejoy from The Simpsons. Like, it just, he, he sounds... It's that it, it's unfortunate that out of the Simpsons characters he voices, that that's his actual voice, because <laughs> it's yeah. just such like a droning Ben Stein voice. <laughs> well, who are it's, the other it's characters? Nice deep. Voices? Harry Shearer. He voices Ned Flanders, Mr. Burns, Smithers, Skinner, Reverend Lovejoy. So Dr. he's got Hibber. some range. Oh, he's a voice that? actor at heart. I mean, oh, that's yeah. primarily what he does. I'd say he but does he what I wish hit. I could do. If he can hit Ned's voice, like that's pretty high for what his actual voice sounds like. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And do you think that's his falsetto? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Like for somebody who's as baritone as him, that is as falsetto as he can get. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably hurts to do the Ned voice. That's why he held out <laughs> for the new season. So they tell the story of how they met. It's really weird to me, at least, seeing, like, old band reunions and everyone's really, like, amicable towards each other. Like, if it always feels like there should be, like, resentment. Like, it should break out into a fight, and it's not. They're just like, oh, yeah, like, it, we, we're old buddies. <laughs> like, this feels wrong, almost. <laughs> it really does. Having been in bands for 15 years, I could tell you there's always animosity between <laughs> at least... If there's three guys, there's animosity between two of them, period. That's how it goes. <laughs> to me, it feels very nostalgic. Yeah, yeah, and I you haven't seen the guys for so long. Yeah, even if there was bad blood back then, it does. It feels like it's all under the bridge now. Uh, so they go on and they mention how Irving Steinblum signed them to the big label, and then bumped them down to a smaller subsidiary label, which they mention it it didn't have very good distribution. In fact, it had no distribution whatsoever. And they uh, went from four colors to two on the uh, on the album covers. And most importantly, uh, the vinyl records had no holes in the center, so you had to. <laughs> Balance it and impale it on the spindle. There's they're great records still. If you if you punched a hole in them, you're gonna have a good time. But that's a quote. <laughs> <laughs> if you could center them properly, they sounded great. I think that's ridiculous that they couldn't die cut a hole in a record. <laughs> that's like one of my favorite lines. One of them. This is there's many. And the fact that they could improvise that without losing their shit. Like I would crack up as soon I think... as they mentioned, oh, there's no hole in the center. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd be falling off the chair. 
I think that's one moment where you can notice that it's improvised because at first, like, there's very little distribution. Actually, no yeah. distribution at all. Yeah. The whole thing is just like three brilliant improvisational comedians just building off of this shit each other says. <laughs> so we cut to some religious song by the Main Street Singers. It kind of sounds like a parody of like Cat Stevens' On My Way to Find Out, but I've also been listening to T for the Tiller Man nonstop for about three months now. <laughs> so I think just it's ingrained in my brain. Uh, and this man is explaining the story of how the Main Street Singers formed out of two bands uh, to become a nine-member Nuftet. <laughs> and ten years and thirty albums later, they disbanded. <laughs> Which is so folk music. <laughs> but Sorry. honestly, three albums a year is what most bands would love to put out. Yeah, that's a lot of material. Well, I guess you have nine people collaborating. And yeah. also, a lot, of, a lot of folk music isn't actually like original, too. A lot of it's actual, like, old... Covers of old, like, railroad songs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. well, and a lot of... I mean, it's kind of like the blues, where everybody does their version of whatever, and, and then... Song. And then yeah. the gospel, uh, like Johnny Cash was doing nothing but gospel songs and songs that had been recorded a hundred times before him well, yeah. for his Ray first Charles, few albums. Didn't Ray Charles also do gospel Oh, yeah, well? definitely. Yeah. And Ray Charles was one of the greats. So so was Johnny Cash to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the scene for, for the folk music scene. So putting out 30 albums in, in our, what was it? 30 albums in 10 years, three albums yeah, a year, yeah. Yeah, 30 albums in 10 years. I like that's... If all you're doing is cutting albums and and touring, that's your life for 10 years. You're paid. You're making good money. And that's how it went back then. Oh, yeah. And so a journalist, David Cantor, then explains how one of the other members opened up a sex shop and something about Benoit Balls. <laughs> it, like, it had like, nothing to do with it. It was the Three Wise Men Sex Empor- Emporium, and they were sued over a box of Benoit Balls. He couldn't explain it. why or what, but... They forgot That's... to put the label not for oral consumption. <laughs> <laughs> so Jonathan then argues with Mitch from Mitch and Mickey, who's Eugene Levy, on the phone saying, like, you can't have Mitch and Mickey without Mitch. And he tells this bullshit story like, you were always dad's favorite. <laughs> I, 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 I've never told anyone this, but you were dad's favorite. <laughs> he, he treated you like, is he was, you were like his nephew. <laughs> <laughs> then we get a, a pretty good song by Mitch and Mickey. Uh... Performed by Eugene Levy, who co-wrote the movie, and Catherine O'Hara. And they both by sound the way, amazing together. Catherine O'Hara, amazing voice, but roar. Love her. <laughs> this movie Cannot is do without her. weirdly star-studded. Catherine it really O'Hara. is. This, this is, <laughs> sorry for interrupting, but this, this is the uh, Mars Attacks of actual good movies. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine O'Hara, to me despite like everything she's been in and everything I've seen her in, which is a f***ing lot, she will always be the mom from Beetlejuice to me. Always. Oof. The yeah. end of time. <laughs> so, Catherine O'Hara, as Mickey, talks about their success as a group, as a duet, and how they kind of represented love as a, as a team. And she talks about how complex Mitch was as a person and always trying to get inside his head, but he was such a you know, distant, creative soul. I just want to say that they quote me from the first episode of Blind Bay. Oh. Catherine O'Hare is talking about how you push him away, and you bring him back a little bit, and you push him away a little bit, keep you wanting more. <laughs> that is true, yeah. So it cuts to an old, right. 
cuts to an old 70s performance of them performing a pretty cute song, which is the same song from earlier, I think, but I'm too lazy to go check. <laughs> and then they, uh, they share a quick kiss on stage before finishing the song. So I did some research after watching the movie, and this song, A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow, was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song. Yeah. Which it should have been, because it was amazing. It lost it into the West from The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. But that's it, stupid. It did yeah, win bullshit. the Grammy, beating <laughs> beating Lose Yourself from Eight Mile. <laughs> Wasn't that a different song though? Is Lose Yourself a different song from A Kiss no. at the End of the Rainbow? No. <laughs> no, didn't they win for a different song? I don't know. Maybe they won for the song A Mighty Wind, but yeah, that's what I was anything, thinking. If anything, beat lose it <laughs> lose yourself <laughs> or lose yourself i mean like okay eight mile was a good movie i enjoyed it i enjoyed the soundtrack i'm a fan of eminem that movie or that song had a really great beat but it was like written for the movie and i can't appreciate that at all <laughs> okay yeah uh on wikipedia it says the title song won the grammy award okay so yeah a mighty wind uh, which it should it should have been the other way around Saying, as a yeah. musician, it should have been a kiss at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. That song was heartfelt and it was amazing. And it and the other one was a little bit too poppy for my taste. I liked it, but it, yeah, I can see where you're getting with that. Um, but it just blows my mind that I found a a movie that was up for Oscars that I was unaware of its existence, but th- that I found this like Oscar nominee in a bargain bin. <laughs> that was that the last thing I expected. <laughs> I'm offended. The Oscars have been around for a long time. I mean, once a movie gets to a certain age, it goes into the bargain bin no matter what it is. Unless it's a Disney movie because those motherfuckers put their shit in a vault. <laughs> yeah. Do, yeah. But you do not put Eugene Levy in a corner. In a bargain bin. Nobody puts Eugene Levy in a corner. Unless it's New York Minute. Yeah, then no, go right ahead. <laughs> cheaper by the dozen, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we can list some. <laughs> So then we see folk historian Martin Berg, who claims <laughs> I love this. he claims the kiss cannot be overstated. Not only was that kiss an important moment in the history of folk music, it was an important moment in the history of humanity. <laughs> this is one small step for man, <laughs> one giant smooch for mankind. One sloppy kiss. <laughs> Wait. So Throw some echo on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, Catherine O'Hara talks about how she didn't really think this through when she agreed to do the gig without asking Mitch. Because <laughs> she recalled a lot of fighting in the end. They tried to keep it professional, but they were getting pretty personal. Segway. Uh, Floyd Ben Buskirk, who's uh, as Steve Lang, the producer, is recounting a story of Mitch and Mickey recording their last album. They started fighting, Mickey started throwing stuff, and Mitch snapped. So I like how we got like three interesting groups so far that it kinda like focuses on like semi equally. Can I like step back just a little bit? There's a there's a line that Mickey says. Mickey's the girl, right? Mickey's the girl, yep. Not okay. Mitch. I keep getting okay. <laughs> Mitch so, is the girl. Okay, so Mickey said the one line that I love that brings out what's great about their like performances like improv like performers is you know those last few years 
Okay, I'm remembering some things now. There was a lot of fighting going on. <laughs> <laughs> just cuts herself out and just like, yep, no, there's a lot of fighting. <laughs> like she's she's gonna reminisce and and everything's gonna be shiny and nice and be like, yeah, those last few years. And you're waiting for aren't as bad as I. No, no, they really were. Yeah. <laughs> no, those last few years. Okay. I'm remembering now. <laughs> yeah, she's like, probably shouldn't have agreed to do this. But the new Main Street singers are performing at a fair to Ugh. less than enthusiastic reception. That's like the most uh, depressing. Concept. I recognize Jane Lynch and Parker Posey right off the bat. Immediately recognized them both, but had to Google a lot to find out who the f- Parker Posey was. <laughs> so Terry Boner and his wife Lori. Yeah, his name's Terry Boner. They have a lot. They pl- play with a lot of they, crude names. So yeah, Terry Boner's wife Lori, played by John Michael Higgins and Jane Lynch, are talking about how Terry was musically abused as a child, <laughs> <laughs> which they don't really elaborate into that much. A they little say, bit. They say it, like it, it gives you like a Partridge Family feel, like or maybe a little Michael Jackson thing going on there. Yeah. So that's how he discovered the original Main Street Singers. Uh, Lori tells her story, which is amazing. A loosely disguised story about her life growing up as a porn star. And Terry (laughs) looks like afraid. Oh, it makes Terry like hilariously uncomfortable. My my only notes um, for Jane Lynch uh, dash Glee, just in case anybody (laughs) didn't recognize the name. And then uh, equals porn slash Mrs. Boner. I mean, that's amazing. That is hitting the nail on the head. <laughs> well, I I love. I like uh, to boil things down. <laughs> when, when Terry's talking about his past, he mentions that when he was eight, he had cut cardboard cutouts of the band that he listened to all the time, and a cardboard cutout of a guitar. That was and the he, cutest thing until I realized what a sociopath he is. Oh no, that's <laughs> that's exactly that's that's my everyday life. I come home from work <laughs> and I got no friends, so I cardboard cutout. An audience. <laughs> yeah, but then uh, Jane Lynch mentions that she took up singing after uh, doing some things that the other girls wouldn't do on some <laughs> movies of the adult persuasion. Play and soccer? She mentions she she takes up singing, joined the new Main Street Singers, and met Terry and became Mrs. Boner. <laughs> <laughs> so The Boner family. <laughs> so while well, Jonathan's secretaries argue a bit, Jonathan says Mitch is in. No, he didn't get it in writing. Well, he didn't say it in so many words, but he's in. So there's a lot of characters to keep track of so far. Actually, Wikipedia has like a list of almost all of them. So historian David Cantor, again, then explains that after Mitch and Mickey's breakup, Mitch's first solo album, A Cry for Help, <laughs> which features him in a straight jacket on the cover, had songs like If I Had a Gun, Anyone But You, and May She Rotten Hell. The best album covers ever. If anything, Google image search those. <laughs> it spiraled down to his next album, Calling It Quits, which has a cover art of like a disheveled Eugene Levy digging his own grave. <laughs> that was my was favorite. Long, long ass beard. <laughs> it made me it made me think of uh I don't know why. Uh, probably completely unfounded, but the cover for Ozzy Osbourne's Bark at the Moon. Maybe it's the look in his eyes. I don't know, but <laughs> I got loved that it. Crazy Aussie look in his eyes. I just I loved it. It was great. So I'm really glad 
that Rob's here because Rob's interesting to listen to because I have no jokes. I have nothing to go on. I'm the recap guy this episode. So I hope you guys brought your A game. So we get a shot of an older, grayer Eugene Levy stepping off a Greyhound, the bus. <laughs> I don't know he why looks... I felt the need to specify that. <laughs> he looks like a zombie Elton John mixed with a little bit of Ozzy. <laughs> but he's got a guitar and then a psychiatrist. Then <laughs> a psychiatrist mentions how he had some issues and uh, didn't really stay as long as she would have liked. <laughs> so we know that this guy's a, a tortured soul. <laughs> so Mickey answers the door to find Mitch standing there. And she introduces him to her husband, Leonard. And oh, sh- I know that voice. That's Major Zero from Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> I wish I knew that voice, but I can't afford Metal Gear games because motherfucking Konami has to charge like 60 bucks for them now. So, like, this movie, with this movie, I can feel the premise of my show slowly crumbling under my feet. And it's terrible. <laughs> this was built on the basis that this movie was going to suck. <laughs> So Mitch claims he checked his stuff into the hotel, that he can't really remember the name, but it's really nice. Lunch isn't ready, so Major Zero takes Mitch to go see his model trains. Well, well, man, you gotta keep in mind that we're in the crab house now. The crab yeah. shack. Manja, manja, manja. Get I, I crabs. Call, <laughs> I call the guy Mr. Crab. Mr. Crab. <laughs> He's just I Major really Zero. Wish- I really wish they were having hamburgers at their uh, at their dinner instead of soup, because <laughs> yeah. then we could call them Krabby Patties, and I'd be real, real happy about that. <laughs> so, Eugene Levy gives the weirdest fucking monologue about how he'd like to see Leonard's model town, Crab Town, in the autumn. <laughs> I'd like to see the crisp leaves on the ground, and he's just the whole like his whole character has really weird like diction and like flow the meter of him talking is just bizarre and it sounds like at the end of sentence it's like a question (laughs) almost yeah he always lilts at the end of the sentence he always groups his words in either ones or twos or or threes it's always a pattern to where you get one word and a space, two words in a space, or three words in a space. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, I'll read my notes on it in the voice. <laughs> what the hell is Eugene Levy doing? He's so awkward, and I don't know if this is his impression of depressed people or deep, distant people, or what the hell this is supposed to be. <laughs> well, I I have a like a an idea like. Okay, there's a, there's a few parts to this. So, one, do you think that he's just severely drugged out? Two, like do you Eugene think... Levy himself? <laughs> no, no, the character because he came out of the psych ward and he has all those like prescription pill bottles and stuff. Or do you do you also think that part of it could also be him? Because they always mention that he was an angry person. Do you think part of this is him holding back his anger? This is the use. This is beta blockers, man. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely drug induced, and I also I I see the the depression aspect that you were talking about, clairvoyant. But I also see the drug aspect, um, not Eugene Levy, but Mitch, it, because I I know people that are real real close to that cadence in their voice, and none of them have been off heroin for more than ten years. <laughs> and when. And when Eugene, or I guess when Mitch talks sometimes too, his eyes kind of go wide. Yeah. Like really well, wide. 
he's not there when he's talking. He's like, you can tell that he's looking around and he's seeing the words that he's saying in front of him and kind of examining them to make sure they're the right ones. It's kind of like the feel that I get. It's like talking to me in person. I, my <laughs> problem with Eugene Levy, I think, is I could have been more famous than I am if he didn't steal my title for like the <laughs> thickest fucking eyebrows in the world. <laughs> Caterpillars. Have you guys seen that uh, American? I think it's an American Pie movie where they wax Eugene Levy's eyes or they pick his <laughs> eyes. His eyes? Ouch. His eyebrows. He, Look turns his eyebrow. around, he turns around and he looks the exact same after they pull out like <laughs> tons of hair. They pull out like a bushel of hair and he they still do. looks like that. No, they do. So at dinner, Eugene Levy asks Major Zero what he does. <laughs> what does Major Zero do? He's a <laughs> spy. He sells slap chops. No, he sells catheters through his own company, Sureflow. Named after his mom, Florence. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was great. So they're trying to eat. Leonard's just talking about limpness and leakage problems. And And you get uh, get, uh, fecal matter impacted in your bowels, and that's pushing on your bladder. (laughs) Honey, I I think maybe this is some good dessert talk. (laughs) So then Mitch and Mickey tell the story of how they met, which ended with Eugene Levy getting his ass kicked, which is always a good story. And... (laughs) When he awoke, he found a single rose near his bed. Aww. They have a picture of him sitting there in traction, and it's amazing. (laughs) I think they have, like, the perfect history. It's so cute. It is. Brody ships it. I do. He bought a postage indicia because because he doesn't want to pay for stamps. That's how hard and often he ships this. He yeah. got an account at stamps.com. I did. Oh, we get paid again. Thank you. Enter our money. <laughs> so, back Enter to... code bloody Brody for 10%. <laughs> so Make back... it 20. <laughs> back to Spinal Tap. The folksmen are jamming uh, their song. I can't remember what song it's called. Uh, uh, it's not that one, actually. <laughs> That's uh, my favorite one, though. They're doing a Never Did No Wandering. They're one of their songs or a cover. I don't know. Is that but, the one with the weird? He's speaking Spanish and the other guy's translating. <laughs> no, no. Okay. That's, <laughs> but you have to appreciate, and I do very much as a musician, when actors actually sing and play their instruments, and oh, like yeah. when like you can, you can always tell when an actor is really good at faking it. And when an actor is actually playing, like when it comes to you know, hand movements on a guitar and stuff like that. The like, only person in the entire movie that I couldn't tell if they were faking it or not was Catherine O'Hara. With the with the, with the, the zither, the auto harp? I don't think yeah, she was. I don't think she was either, but I, but I it, don't know how the fucking auto harp works. I'm a bassist. I yeah. don't know. Like anything above six strings, unless it's got 12 and you're doing the three octave bass. Anything above that, I'm just real, real confused about, you know, so I couldn't tell. I was thinking about it. I'm like, did Catherine O'Hara learn how to play 
an auto harp for this. She loop? was yeah, she was playing really simple rhythms, and I mean, you never know. I mean, the woman's a multifaceted beauty of the stage and screen, so she could have just known how to play some simple auto harp. I mean, I you would really, not put it past her. I want to put my dick in it. You really like Catherine? O'Hara. I love her <laughs> in the you biblical just, sense. Honestly, though, you just gotta like. She only really needs to know if like. Well, I guess for the whole full song, like, it's like four chords. Yeah, but I think she did because they didn't they did they not perform it at the Oscars? Oh, they did. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they, there you go. So she had to have learned it. So my girl and got she, that hit like, on lock. Yeah, people never, never fake it on stage. <laughs> and she looks like the kind of person that would play it. That would play the zither. Yeah, <laughs> I want to learn. Actually, that sounds. I didn't know what a zither was. You just said zither, and, and I was like, what? And you said auto harp, and I was like, oh, that thing. Yeah. I don't know the proper names for things. I know the redneck <laughs> names for things. Uh, auto harp is like a, I believe it's like a. It's an Appalachian. Thing, electronic, an electronic zither. Okay. That's I'd love to learn what I'm, to, what I'm sticking with. Um, I think that's, what, I think Johnny Mitchell plays one of those in a few of her songs. So, um, so they play a bit, and then they're discussing their stage outfits. You know, if they should wear the same stuff from the '60s and '70s or not. <laughs> but, and they kind of get this weird debate. <laughs> they do. Outro. They do who's on first. Yeah, it's like if we wear the outfits from now, from then now, it would be retro. But if we wore outfits from then, then it was nowtro. Yeah. And it's just like Harry like, Shearer trying to coin the phrase nowtro. <laughs> <laughs> If we do now, then, or if we did then, now, oh, it was all right, yeah. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was who's on first, and I loved every yeah. minute of it. So the Steinblum children, meanwhile, are discussing how to approach the event. Uh, oh, Naomi, God. <laughs> Naomi yeah, right? who's the, the sister, the daughter, is played by an actual local, like from where myself, Bloody Brody, Shani Dreadful, uh, Mr. Really? Universe, where we are, just around the corner. <laughs> And so, it. Uh, I don't know how I feel about. That. <laughs> she was one of my favorite out of the, out of the family members. She was probably my favorite because she reminded me so much of Delia from uh, Beetlejuice. Oh yeah, I don't know why, but because she totally she, did. But she was emotional and, to the point of hysterics, which yeah, I yeah. could see like Delia. Yeah, <laughs> it it really like I made that connection and and it made me love her a little bit more. Now she's Catherine. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> They're the most like dysfunctional Jewish family you can get. Oh, I loved it. My my favorite um my favorite line in the entire thing was uh we don't see each other and then she, the sister goes we don't need to. That was I, <laughs> out of the three notes that I have written down that was one of them because it was such a great conversation and it's it's kind of how i feel about not like the bulk of my family but some of my family i'd be like yeah that's good we're good that's a, i mean we can i'll email you every once in a while hit me up on facebook and like a post and <laughs> that's all that's all i need so can I comment no no comment <laughs> yeah no comment like, like it and walk away so at a school for ants no they're at an elementary school uh <laughs> sissy knox played by parker posey is playing for a bunch of kids and then she does her cutaway bit and mentions how her father was an original Main Street singer, but she ended up 
on the streets. <laughs> so the entire mainstream singers had like shitty lives before becoming singers. They're just I never noticed that. Yeah, they're just like talking about like, and they're all cheerfully and like cheerful and almost like super like Christian, you know, like the like stereotypical like you know like. Before this band saved me, you know, I was on the streets doing crack. And like, <laughs> do you think? Do you think that's kind of a play on like bands like the Beach Boys, where they're all really heavy into drugs, but but super when, cheery. When you look at them and pictures, they look like very innocent, cheery, like fire kind boys. Of kids. Yeah, yeah, that very well could be. Well, it definitely they definitely had the vibe of like the church choir thing going on. I mean, with the uniforms that they wore, yellow and yeah. blue sweater vests. And- yeah, I mean, it's like they look like a, a southern choir at church. So, in a hotel room, an actual hotel room, Mitch is practicing songs. Which, how did he find his way there? Yeah, <laughs> was it muscle memory, or did he write it down on a slip of paper in his pocket and give it to the cab driver? Yeah, he's clearly out of practice. He has a lot of pills on his night. Which, pay attention to, they move around. No one ever touches them. <laughs> I'm then, not sure how you're going to edit this. So <laughs> <laughs> so then he, he gets cut off by some strangely calm and rhythmic, but loud and destructive lovemaking going on. Which isn't... I, I think I remember seeing on the on the IMDb page in the under the interesting facts section that uh, I want to say Christopher Guest was the one that did all of those sounds. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, uh, it's also very disturbing. Yeah, it's like it's just it's really it's slow and rhythmic, but there you can hear shit breaking and the walls are shaking. <laughs> There's all kinds of shit going on. The lights are shaking on Mitch's side of the wall. And then he's he's just sitting there and he's, you know, doing his thing. And then he stops and then he starts again. And you hear like a lamp crash on the ground. And uh, uh. This is the part where I would down all my pills and shoot myself. So we then cut to Mike LaFontaine, played by Fred Willard. Oh, Who's the owner of <laughs> high class management and the manager of the new Main Street Singers? He's <laughs> he, the American Johnny Rotten. He appears to be. He's a former sitcom actor, <laughs> and he's very annoying. <laughs> and he's proud of coining one liners. He, he, he's the kind of guy what who happened? thinks he's really funny. His one liner is "What happened?" On his. Horrible! I'm cringing the entire time. If I didn't love Fred Willard so much, I would just have probably turned the movie off at that point. And he's like, oh, I find so many catchphrases like, what happened? And I think I was the first one to say, I don't think so. And (laughs) (laughs) Just asinine bullshit out of his mouth at every given chance. (laughs) I hate him way more than I hate bubble gut or water babies but he has like a, even like one of those little like soundboard things that like plays stupid sound effects and it's a comic's best friend and he's one of those just like he's like an office prankster style guy who thinks he's funny in everything he says and he's like stop stop making bad jokes <laughs> and especially since he you know used to be on a sitcom he always repeats his what happened like it's still relevant <laughs> like it was ever even a catchphrase. Like, okay, Every this is a fictional said. universe, but I can say for goddamn sure that nobody liked that catchphrase. No it one. wasn't a thing, even in his world. <laughs> yeah, no one else well, he, it. He lives life like a fucking 
uh, a sitcom like yeah. character. So and it, it, it like oh, he pisses me off. <laughs> but I so love Fred, Fred Willard because he commits. Like he <laughs> commits a hundred percent. He's an amazing actor, and if he's gonna play an annoying bag. He's gonna be that bag to his core, and he does it perfectly. And he has like Guy like, Fieri, like Smash Mouth hair. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, Guy Fieri, <laughs> well, Smash Mouth, Smash Mouth, and um, the, one of the guys from uh, ICP. You never see him in the same place at one time. They're all the same person, <laughs> and they're well, all played by Fred Willard. He commits. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I call him the American Johnny Rotten. He's got like Johnny Rotten hair in it. Everybody knows like that, that was stolen from from Spike. So Mike LaFontaine is talking about how he put together the new Main Street Singers and started them on a cruise line. Uh, the poster for the tour is hilariously bad. It's like all their faces like cut out and photoshopped on. Well, how he how he got that job is he was talking about how when he does stand up and then he finds that one guy that's not laughing and he makes him laugh. And it happened <laughs> yeah, to be the. Like he- he focuses all his attention on that one guy that's not laughing, which is something that I hear a lot on uh, comedy podcasts. It's like that's what if if you're a comedian, which Fred Willard's a comedian, so I have no uh, question that that part of this was his improv that like led it into the script. That's yeah. what you do is because you can't it, it, something in a comedian's brain being on stage and having to make strangers laugh like that's what you want to do for a living there's something broken in you that where if someone's not laughing that's the only thing you see you don't well, see you the wanna... thousand other people laughing you see that one person not laughing yeah and you want to point out the obvious when you're a comedian right because you want to make fun of that and when someone's not with the normal crew you're gonna be like that guy <laughs> Yeah. Because that, that's what sticks out in your mind. But the guy who wasn't laughing happened to be the only surviving member of the Main Street Singers. <laughs> so he uh, he put together a band with them. So Bob Balvin, he, Jonathan, is meeting with television producers to discuss airing the special. Uh, the executive producer tells him a story about his dad giving him free tickets to see the, the Folksman as a kid. <laughs> Which reminded reminded me of uh, the Darwin Awards. And if you haven't seen that movie, watch that movie 100%. It reminded me of the concert when they're trying to sneak in the concert. And I was like, oh, it oh, hurts yeah, my brain. I remember that. Yeah, it was great. The thing that made me laugh about this is for some reason he starts – peppering his sentences with Yiddish about halfway through yeah. the story. And it's just every word is just a Yiddish word. <laughs> I don't, I like, it's a, uh, uh, oh, what are they? Like, for Schlichta and, and I don't even know. Like, and the all... thing is, he only does it when he's talking to Jonathan, who's Jewish. <laughs> like, you see him talking to the producer of, like, the show and stuff, and it's, it's, <laughs> he doesn't, say anything and then as soon as he shall be like, oh shalom and like this yeah. <laughs> he reminds me of he's like Lars Ulrich and then all of a sudden it's cultural appropriation time when, when Jonathan shows up yeah. well, well, and even he, when, then he turns into the nanny every fifth word well when when John, when he's talking to Jonathan he's still talking normal until Jonathan does like a they're like we just want to give it's like we want to give back to him he's like yeah but not too much. He makes like this little tiny gesture, and that's instantly like after that. That's the second he starts <laughs> speaking. That's like the cue. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, what the hell happened? I don't know what to make of it, <laughs> but it amused me. So Mitch and Mickey are practicing their harmonies, and then we go to the main street singing singers, 
just jamming out. <laughs> but it gets Terry's an ass. Passive aggressive, <laughs> real fast. Yeah. Like the one guy's singing, and then Terry's bringing up like straight up music theory on this, shit and talking yeah. about like, oh, you were singing the you know, root. Yeah, you were singing the root. You should be singing the six. You should be singing the harmony. You know, all sixths. And this guy's like, oh, okay, let's just go from the start. Can I take my uniform off? Because <laughs> he's wearing, the, <laughs> he's the only person there wearing the band's outfit. And they're like, maybe if you talk- sing the six, and yeah, then we uh, talked about this, then you'll, you'll be ready. Your ability to sing in your regular clothes. Every yeah, member had to do this. <laughs> maybe, maybe after you do that, and I, I see you're committed, then you can wear your civvies to practice. Yeah, <laughs> what this got really like totalitarian, real fast. And like, and at one it was point, like cultish. And then when he's like, "You, you were, didn't," but when he's like, "You're seeing the root," he's like, "Yeah." It's like, didn't didn't I give you the sex? He's like, "No." He turns to the other guy. Didn't I give him the sex? The other guy's like, "Yeah, you gave him the sex." He's like, "Oh, okay, well." <laughs> I'll sing the six then. So the executive producer then tells someone over the phone, probably Jonathan, because he's using Yiddish words, that they, yeah. <laughs> that they pulled some strings and are now doing it live. He Which said, is awesome. And they're on the public broadcasting network, PBN. Yeah. Which is totally not anything <laughs> else that actually One exists. letter away from copyright infringement. <laughs> well, we should we should we should explain what they're copywriting so we get paid more. <laughs> Listen kidding. to PBS. But <laughs> um, wait, do we get paid for referencing real things? I really cool. wish. Because right? Ford Chevy Dodge, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nazis? Oh, shit. They have gold. gold. <laughs> yeah. Nazis, they have gold. Wait, so do the Mayans and the Aztecs, and I'm sure somebody has coffee, and I really need a cup right now. (laughs) So then the executive producer, Lars, tells an anecdote about how he used to have a dulcimer garage band in Sweden. (laughs) Called what? Why is he speaking, like... I don't remember what it was called, but he had a hit song (laughs) that was a long Swedish word, and the song translates to, how's it hanging, Grandma? Yeah. (laughs) I really wanted to hear you try and pronounce it because I reround it twice, just trying to write down phonetically, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I want to look it up and see how it's pronounced or how it's spelled. Wait, wait. Want... Was was this the part? Somebody, it, it's either this or it's the conversation that the the siblings were having earlier. Because my my second to last note is Nanaimo <laughs> bars, and is that a Canadian thing? Yes, it is. Okay, I had a wait, feeling that's only in Canada. I yeah, think I've heard it before. Oh. It's uh, a bar made out of custard and fudge, and they're pretty damn There's something good. else at the bottom, and they're really good. But yeah, they're... It's, yeah, Nanaimo BC. Custard Canadian. or nougat? Custard. Because that sounds super gross. You're wrong. <laughs> Is it like, do you get them fresh made? Anything with custard in it should it's be... Fresh. Fr- okay. It's all okay, thank fresh. God. So it's like an eclair or something. They're deli- nah, kind no. of, but it's it's almost like it's formed like a like a three layer cake almost like a oh, it's a Boston I, cream pie. I'm I'm sending you a recipe. Okay, <laughs> so it's wafer crumb based layer, and then a custard flavored butter icing layer, and then a melted chocolate layer made from chocolate it's, squares. It's really it's Boston good. Boston cream pie. It's uh, it's uh, it's like Canadian Boston cream pie. 
But that actually oh. looks really super good. I was thinking something like a like a, a Hershey bar or something with custard in it, and that sounds hideous. Well, no, you should definitely <laughs> yeah, that, uh, make this. Uh, uh, I'm picturing like <laughs> just those, congealed, like, like you know those like Valentine's Day chocolates that always have like a strawberry flavored like mousse oh, or something in it. Yeah, that's what I pictured, but like a Hershey's one, so it's like mass produced and like with a nasty custard <laughs> glob inside of it, just ready to clog your arteries. Well, Canada well, actually has some really awesome candy bars. So the folksmen are practicing a song that involves a live translation bit as Christopher Guest speaks Spanish and Harry Shearer translates. <laughs> Which I thought was actually a good idea. It sounded good. And then... Uh, I think it sounded a little bit like a mess. I think... Just well, <laughs> Michael McKean was saying it was a little messy, so try speaking quieter. And he yeah. thought he was saying try speaking higher. So he's doing it in a falsetto, and meanwhile, <laughs> Harry Shearer is going deeper. And he's like, I don't think I can go any higher. And it sounded ridiculous. <laughs> and he's saying it sounds like he's like a was it a puppet here? Or... Like, I, I forget what they're some, called. Yeah, something Mary, like that. Uh, Marionette, yeah. Ventriloquist dummy. Or, yeah, yeah like, that's it. So yeah, they Which, argue. Okay, Harry Shearer looks like a Muppet. Yeah, <laughs> especially with that like chin strap neck. The beard. chin strap beard, yeah, he looks like I, Mr. Uh, Teeth. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> and they're the oh, electric man. I'm, <laughs> I'm a Muppet. I know everything. <laughs> I want Kermit and Miss Piggy to do a kiss at the end of the rainbow. Oh my well, god! So Jonathan then argues on the phone that they can't broadcast from a hotel room. So they need to get him out. So presumably Mitch has locked himself in his hotel room. <laughs> so at a thrift shop, Jane Lynch is getting uh, vibrations from a fabric. So in, in the cutaway, she's explaining that they worship an unconventional deity, another dimension that exists solely inside her own mind. Uh, they experience the vibratory sensation of color and believe that this is the basis of creation. And the whole time she's explaining this, he seems super uncomfortable, like... <laughs> and scared. Yeah, like, she wears the pants in this family, like, a... <laughs> like, she's gonna beat him if he disagrees. Yeah, that's why he takes out his masculinity on the rest of the band, because it's just... <laughs> because she... <laughs> yeah, if he ever spoke out against her, all hell would break loose. So they call it their... Cult. <laughs> Wink, W-I-N-C, witches in nature's colors. And uh, it immediately cuts to them dressed as wizards, howling with sparklers. Diane Delano is there, for some reason. And the husband says, though they're witches, they don't ride around on broomsticks and wear pointy hats. Well, they don't ride around broomsticks. <laughs> and he says that they don't believe in hooey sci-fi religion. They simply believe the commonplace belief that humans are personified color existing on the 49th vibration. You'd come to that conclusion <laughs> walking down the street. <laughs> and Miss Boner just is like, oh yeah, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> like, this is totally just normal. So, Jonathan is talking to Mitch in his motel room and saying, you know, just be yourself. And Mitch says, there's a deception here. The audience is expecting to see a man who no longer exists. So as Jonathan, you know, he's trying to talk to him and console him, and you know, things going to be all right, and you're going to be fine. But <laughs> lovemaking next door starts up again. <laughs> it's like, uh, 
Oh, uh, this is the same lamp crashes. And they have to call the concierge to replace it. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. I've, I seem to have f***ed the lamp off a table again. Could you send up another? <laughs> Just send up a week's supply. <laughs> <laughs> but what? While you're at, bring me cake. <laughs> um, so the folksmen are practicing this Spanish-influenced song called Loco Man, while the new Main Street singers are performing Fair Away. The only lyric that stands out is, I'm the cabin boy, call me Jim. And they all say, his name's Jim. <laughs> which is really bizarre lyrics for a song. They're very heartfelt. They're, they're written deep. They really believe his name's Jim. Yeah. <laughs> so their wonderful manager, Fred Willard, interjects and offers an idea for their stage show. <laughs> he says, Remember the pirate captain Moby Dick and his catchphrase, There She Blows? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Which is so wrong. So he suggests that they splash the band on stage. Uh, and, you know, Mr. Boner says, What happened? And they keep splashing them. All the women are wearing white t-shirts, and he whispers in the ear why. Um, and then at the end, they dump all the water out of their instruments, and he'd be hilarious, but just an idea, though. <laughs> he's uh, he's the worst kind of person. <laughs> he is, though, a really good uh, manager, unfortunately. He's, he's, getting them, he's, he's getting good them at booking them, I guess. Yeah. 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 Like, he's, he's got them famous. Yeah, well, no, they were already famous. Well, I guess, yeah. It's true. He's getting them gigs at street fairs and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he isn't that good. <laughs> Maybe isn't that good. So, Mitch and Mickey are practicing A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow. Uh, Catherine Hare is actually playing the auto harp. And then they get to the kiss part in the end of the song, and it's a little awkward. There's some awkward silence. And they just continue the song without kissing, and more awkward silence follows. Um, at the venue itself, the venue planner, uh, the manager there is talking about how excited he is to have a folk act because it's like having a carnival come to town because <laughs> they're a, they're a more classical venue. So Rob, do you recognize this guy? I do. And now I can tell you from where. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's from uh, Serenity. It's Michael Hitchcock. Yeah, he gets... Stabbed with a sword. He dies an honorable death. A good death. <laughs> but he he says he does everything at the hall. They call him Your Majesty there. And uh, he everything from changing the lights in the rafters to changing the rat traps in the basement. And he also, he just amateur, he likes to sing in churches and juvenile halls. <laughs> <laughs> and he says that this hall is the best place to sing in New York or possibly the world because the acoustics are amazing. And then he starts singing Ave Maria. <laughs> this really off key is Badly. That's, that's how I sing every day. It's like it's, it's the only way I know how. Perfect timing. Like, comically. Like, this guy nails yeah. it. <laughs> so, Spinal Tap is driving around. They can't find the location. They bicker a bit about not having a map in the car. <laughs> He's like, well, I have a map. It's just not in the car. Were you planning on studying it later? <laughs> Which reminded me of the Blair Witch so much. I kicked the fucking map into the river. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> so then we have a little sit down with the PR folk. 
who explained that they don't even care a little bit about folk music, but sales is all about faking it. <laughs> so speaking of faking it, the PR lady is made of Botox entirely. She's... And I love her. Jennifer Coolidge from Legally Blonde is my favorite, and she makes me want a hot dog real bad. <laughs> <laughs> But she, yeah, she's really good at playing just a total ditz in this movie. It's like straight up dumb. I loved her humming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her mouth open. <laughs> they're, 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 like and they're supposed to be humming because that's what the dad did. Everyone is sitting there going, mm, and she's He's there. known for his hum. <laughs> so I'd like to. I'd like. To, wait. I'd. I'd like to all. Uh, I'd like if we could all just hum for a minute. <laughs> that was so weird. I'm serious. No, he he means like us. Yeah. Like us? Yeah. Ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you took the cue. <laughs> so, the PR team organizes an event with the deputy mayor... To get tomorrow officially recognized as Folk Music Day. <laughs> they present the plaque to who else but uh. Mike, Fred Willard's character. Mutely comes up and does everything I hate about him as a character. <laughs> He's like, oh, Deputy Mayor, what happened? They couldn't get the actual mayor. <laughs> he uses his fucking catchphrase. <laughs> Which still what? doesn't exist. Nobody knows it's his catchphrase but him. <laughs> But he uses it so often. <laughs> You'd think that, like, someone on a sitcom, if someone came up, like, it's like Dave Chappelle. Someone comes up to you and just says, Rick James. You're like, yeah, <laughs> funny, yeah. Or you just yeah. get pissed off. You don't constantly say it. <laughs> like, well, it finds it's like, it funnier than anyone else does. It's like me. I try to make jokes on here, and I keep thinking they're funny. And then, <laughs> <laughs> then you listen to the final cut, and they're not there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that... Or the ones you do keep aren't funny at all. <laughs> I was like, I always thought Brody was like a really morose goth dude listening to the episodes because he only ever talks seriously. He never makes any jokes, and now I know why. <laughs> yeah, he cuts all my shit out. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fred Willard's character is like, he, he feels just like the kind of guy that'd be like, hello, ladies and germs, and then like wheeze laughing at his own joke. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, no one else is laughing at all. <laughs> you do your wheeze laugh again. <laughs> it's like a character from Heathcliff or something. <laughs> That's mine. That's pretty. <laughs> so, that kind of so, hurts. <laughs> Mitch and Mickey are having an album signing, and Mitch starts reminiscing about being on stage. He started to actually like be on board with his idea for the first time because he's remembering how much fun they had, and it gets kind of cute. It scene it does it gets shippy. The ship has sailed. The ship, I no, ship that's it. not a good thing. Ship is in harbor. Har- I, it, it I ship it. <laughs> I was gonna. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say in harbor. In, in port. Har- in port. The ship is sitting at the dock of the bay. The bay. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> but you yeah, lose. Sh- Do not pass go. <laughs> a strain of awful events just occurred. <laughs> a series of unfortunate events. Oh, but and they continue. <laughs> Mickey, 
Mickey is talking about how, you know, she always liked to watch Mitch when he was on when they were on stage because was you know it was hard to believe her on stage. You'd, the stage fright would get to her. So just watching him, knowing you know, like you know, watching what he does, being having the best seat in the house, uh, you know, that's what gave her the confidence because her character was her whole career was built on being in love with him. And exactly, just being there with him, <laughs> and she did it well because she she was feeling it. <laughs> Oh, she was feeling it. Oh, yeah. So, at a mixer of some sort, everyone's socializing. Uh, Michael McKean is talking about how the main street singers are too commercial. Because drama. And Major Zero is explaining how he's a model train enthusiast to the PR lady. <laughs> just out of nowhere, too. He's just They're just standing there. He's staring at her awesome And he's just like, I, uh, I like model trains. <laughs> and she's like, I think they're really cool because they're important. That's how they get the idea for the post-sized trains. <laughs> <laughs> and so Jonathan proposes a toast to his dad and his amazing hum, and that's when they all hum in tribute. <laughs> uh, getting set up, Jonathan is stressing over every little thing. <laughs> this is like oh, he, me. He's super, super worry ward. Like he's like, he's he like is me. freaking right the fuck out. <laughs> These which mics. You haven't, yeah, you haven't seen him do this up until this point. He's just freaking the hell out, and uh, uh, it's like it's almost out of character until you realize that he is like the embodiment embodiment of OCD, yeah. to where everything while he's in control is perfectly organized and everything's nice. And as the moment someone else has control. He's freaking the f*** out. Well, he's like talking about how you know, these these mics stand, these mics, you know, they don't have tops. What, oh, yeah, are, what are these are things the, called? Those are the mic stands. Well, they're going to have like mic tops, right? Are they called mic tops? <laughs> Just called microphones. And yes, you're going to have them because we'd, re- we'd really like to have them. You don't need to write that down. Yes, we're going to have microphones. <laughs> and just freaking <laughs> out. Know, then we cut to Mickey practicing her auto harp <laughs> as her husband is watching the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> Which is a great episode of the Powerpuff Girls, I just got to say. Yeah, and that, that that's how the cut starts. He is, is my hero. Who's your favorite Powerpuff Girl? Because I have like all six seasons on DVD. I'm a huge PPG nerd. I'm a I'm a Powerpuff girl. We I'm a girl for I'm a, Halloween, actually. I'm a goth true. chick at heart. So. so, who is your favorite of the PPG? You gotta go with the dark one. Buttercup. She's kind of dark. You bastard! <laughs> I was Blossom for Halloween. Buttercup all the way. She was. Clairvoyant like, was Buttercup. Buttercup is the coolest. No. Uh, Blossom. Nobody likes Blossom. People who like Blossom like Cyclops from the X Men. Ugh. I hate Cyclops. <laughs> Ugh. I like really? Blossom. Like, gross. So, Mickey's then talking about how they've made it, you know, in a roundabout way. You know, if their career had continued, they'd be playing seedy ass bars and stuff. Never would they be at Town Hall. You know, this is their way of making it. Which is kind of true, in a weird way to look at it. Yeah. Because they didn't jump the shark. Yeah, they well, I mean, they quit while they were ahead, and then they came back. Came back strong, instead mm-hmm. of being those guys playing casino shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The focus men. So, in the hotel hall, Mitch is talking about how he's 
he's relaxed, he's prepared, he's coordinated. <laughs> then he drops his stress ball, which is like ironic on all fronts. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would be the only one that noticed that. So I'm really yeah, glad yeah, that no, you I did. noticed that too. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, "My favorite line in the movie." Says, you know, 35 years ago, preparing for a concert meant playing Find the Cobra with a hotel chambermaid. But tonight I feel good. Okay. <laughs> Granted, I was not alive 35 years ago. But I don't think they called them chambermaids. <laughs> I had the same thought. And I'm like, what is... Isn't that the ones that come in and change the chamber pots? <laughs> yeah, like in medieval times. Yeah. <laughs> this is not the dark ages he's talking about the 60s <laughs> yeah and he says he's, he's excited he's ready uh, it's a voyage on a ship well, and the... trout jump out of the water over the orb that is the setting sun and just... <laughs> which he's just he's just describing uh, the, one of the Meryl Streep Mel Gibson movies I don't remember which one but it's that one at the CD store signing too he's like it's just like he's talking about how it's just like the sixty six. You're sixty seven. <laughs> you're sixty four. <laughs> you just constant. <laughs> so, Bob Balvin pisses off the event organizer further because he's worrying about a floral arrangement a little too much. Oh, it made me so happy. <laughs> the apple blossoms. He was afraid we were gonna poke someone in the eye. This and is the exactly. Lower- like me though it's exactly like you <laughs> in every sense but, like he's taught he he thinks of the biggest situations as the smallest things true true story could... when i hired bloody brody as my co-host on the clairvoyant project uh and then i told him hey we just pitched it to the network as blind by he was like but it's not actually a blind buy though I mean, can we call it that? You're not actually picking these out blind. You're looking at the movies before you grab them. So it's not a real blind buy. So are we allowed to call it that? Yes, Brody, we can call it blind buy. <laughs> it's a fitting title. <laughs> I wish we could hang out together in public awkward places. You'd, I wish you'd we end could up sm- do that. You'd end up smacking me like Lawrence smacks his... <laughs> yeah. yeah, eventually, yeah, Michael... Are those lights... They look loose. They're not loose. Is <laughs> that a wire? Whack! Right on top of the head. Because <laughs> he's, like, yeah, he's like, yes, those are lights, and that's a ceiling above us. <laughs> like, <laughs> is this he's worrying? <laughs> so <laughs> we go to a weird, completely useless bit about Harry Shearer <laughs> moisturizing. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> he's talking about how he's gotten in the practice of taking care of his skin. The other guys, the Norwegian sea captains, all moisturized. The other guys razzle about it, but Norwegian fishermen have been using hand cream for centuries, (laughs) and knowing his skin looks great will give him the confidence to be his best on stage. Which, hey, I mean, as a performer, I gotta say, if I had better skin and maybe my tits were a little perkier, you know, (laughs) I'd probably, uh, I'd probably feel better on stage too. Fair enough. So the producer is in the control room talking about what shots he wants to do. She's oh, yeah. a completely <laughs> moot point, considering they're all crane shots and they don't have a crane. He's like, like, that would it... look good, wouldn't it? It would. <laughs> yeah, it would, but we, we don't have a crane. <laughs> is it too late? I can call a guy. <laughs> and they're like literally like starting in like an hour. I can call a guy. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I love how this whole scene does not speak Yiddish because... (laughs) Because... not around Jonathan. Exactly. So yeah, fans are lined up outside and inside, getting ready, waiting. Steinboon family is thanking the folksmen for showing up. Mitch and Mickey are getting prepared. Mitch is starting to stress out. New Main Street singers are doing their weird (laughs) religion chant with phallic candles to prepare. Oh god, they describe the candle. How do they describe the candle? It's it's uh it represents love and peace and the colors and also it's a penis. Oh yes, and also it's a penis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so now we're going live. Jonathan Steinblum takes the stage. He makes an announcement <laughs> before they start, he makes the announcement that the floral arrangements have dangerously low hanging vines and may be poisonous. So don't become entangled in them or eat them. <laughs> Which I thought was great because he even chuckled and he played it off and the audience laughed at him. He played played it off as a joke. But he was totally 100% serious too. Oh, dead serious. And <laughs> he does a thing where he looks over every line on his piece of paper before he gets to the next sentence. Yeah. And, and so, then they laugh louder. <laughs> yeah. So he welcomes to the stage the group that was the kind of infectious that's good to spread around. The new Main Street Singers. <laughs> Back- I like his introductions a lot, actually. Yeah, they're pretty witty. Backstage, the folks who are practicing never did no wandering. And then on stage, the new Main Street Singers start up a rousing rendition of Never Did No Wandering. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I, if you've been on stage and that happens... That boils your blood like nothing else. And I'd look, freak the fuck out. They look mortified. Like, what do we... That was our opening song. <laughs> and so, yeah, they're panicking. They run to the side to see, and, you know, the, Harry Shear suggests, just open with it anyway. <laughs> yeah, give them an option. Because do, do you want uh, a toothbrush commercial, or do you want, what does he say, real... Uh, real folk. Real folk. And they say they've already brushed their teeth at this point. Yeah, (laughs) so you you might as well move on to the next thing. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you just can't have both. (laughs) So backstage, Mitch goes out for some air, and then the new Main Street singers are they're singing some strange song about sweet potatoes, (laughs) going down to the cellar and. Yeah, I didn't. I got a real nasty vibe out of that one. (laughs) Yeah, it felt just. Oh, it, it made me uncomfortable. <laughs> it felt real. It felt real dirty, especially with Parker Posey singing, and I was just like, "Yeah." <laughs> so the folksmen debate opening with their big hit, and they don't really have time to think it over because the folksmen are introduced to the stage. So they decide to open with their hit, "Old Joe's Place." <laughs> Backstage, Mickey can't find Mitch. He's in a gift shop in Times Square. Tripping out, looking at, like, a Samsung ad. <laughs> yeah, it really looks like he just starts tripping balls. Like, he walks, and he's he looks like he's just getting a breath of fresh air. Like, I half expected him to, you know, pull out a blunt and, you know, just relax a bit. But then he sees the the uh, 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 Samsung ad, and his eyes go real wide. <laughs> at this point, like, I'm led to believe that he's going to go all river on the entire Times Square. Well, and just kick movie. the shit out of everyone. This whole movie, they always mention that he's like an angry person. I'm like, I'm just waiting for him waiting to like. for him to explode, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the folks been on stage, finish Old Joe's Place. E. Ah. Oh. But. 
Yeah. An assistant tells Jonathan something backstage, so he runs to the producer and tells him they can't find Mitch. On stage, the folksmen are doing an audience participation bit with, like, farm animal noises. It feels very Andy Kaufman. <laughs> the chickens say. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey, Jonathan, and Lars, the producer, are looking for Mitch as the folksmen finish the Barnyard Symphony. And uh, Jonathan motions for them to continue because they can't find Mitch. So they decide they're going to do the Skeletons of Kinto, but they give this like long history lesson about the song. Well, back in 1939. <laughs> it just... I love that Harry Shearer just drops into like what now would be considered the best micro. <laughs> I like when... Um... I really like what later on when they finally find Mitch, there he's mid sentence in mid word. He just <laughs> okay, bye. And then walks yeah. Away. <laughs> See they you later, folks. Even, <laughs> they never even played the song. Yeah. <laughs> so backstage, Mickey's freaking out that Mitch could be lying face down in a ditch because it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> she wants to go home, but then Mitch shows up with a single red rose. And asks, you know, if they're on when they're uh, supposed to be on for five minutes. Mickey starts, you know, freaking out. It's too late. She calls him selfish, and then he shows her the rose. And yeah, he said it took me so long to find a good one, and I, my heart melted right there. That yeah, was so same. sweet. And she smells it. She's like, "That is a pretty good one." <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> like, "All right, props, bro. That yeah, represent." <laughs> <laughs> so assistant comes up and yeah, interrupts Harry Shearer's history lessons immediately. He's like, "All right, good night." <laughs> so Jonathan introduces Mitch and Mickey to the stage. Mickey tells the story of how they first met, which is, you know, the same story. He got beat up, jaw wire shut, and he couldn't communicate, so he wrote poetry to her. And she oh. reads a poem that Mitch wrote to her. And that poem was legit, too. Yeah, it's about how he's parched and sees her and, I don't know. He then jokes, oh, I just wanted a glass of water. <laughs> Which, Which is, was hilarious. Yeah, and a really yeah. great, cool way to play it off, especially for such an awkward guy. Like, oh, that's how that's how he gained all that tang. Well, it, it feels like he's less awkward on stage. Absolutely, yeah. So they start playing A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow, which is a weird song to open with because it's their big song. Well, they're but they're doing like one song and then going to the closer, I think. Pretty much, yeah. So backstage, Michael McKean asks him to turn it up. He remembers the song. And so the folksmen start placing bets on whether they're actually going to kiss or not. (laughs) (laughs) And the new Main Street singers want to go check it out as well. And so everyone's kind of waiting at the side of the stage. And they're watching on the the cameras. Mitch and Mickey are kind of like looking at each other like nervously. It's it's very will they, won't they. It's kind of tense, you know. Yeah. And then the moment approaches and... You know, uncomfortable silence. And then Mitch just goes for it. And they they kiss and they finish the song. Which made me it was, really happy for some reason. It was happy, but it was very uncomfortable. It was, I was like, the whole time I was thinking, like, what about Mr. Krabs? Yeah. Well, f*** <laughs> Mr. Krabs. <laughs> Major Zero. <laughs> but I mean, like, I can see, you know, it's part of the act or whatever. And they hadn't yeah. seen each other for a decade or however long it had been. And uh, and so, like, uh, if I was, you know, her husband or whatever, I would excuse that. I would, like, I would not even think about it. I would assume that it was going to happen, like, going yeah. into the event. Like, this was, like, 
they paint it as this iconic moment in the music scene. Like this is like, you know, this is this is like the sailor and the nurse. Like, this, well, this, this is the greatest thing for humanity. <laughs> yeah. <it's greatest laughs> well, honestly, though, this whole scene was very heartwarming. Like everyone really gathering was, yeah. and everyone gathering around, listening to them, and like. And everyone's reactions, like, hey, it's that song. Like, it, it was all very genuine. Trying to find out why Irving's last words were Rosebud. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, then, yeah, the crowd loves it. They go wild. And then everyone gets on stage, all three bands. And they do this big song called A Mighty Wind. Every band gets a solo. I actually really like this song as well. Yeah, I did too. I didn't. I thought at this point was when my local newspaper got it right with A Mighty Wind Blows because certain parts of it I liked and the, as a whole I did not like it. But I could appreciate the theatricality of it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked it. But yeah, it gets a standing ovation, as it, it should. <laughs> Six months later, Fred Willard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Fred Willard's talking about how the network execs tried to get them into a TV deal. The uh, and then of course the mainstream singers. He pitched an idea of them as babies because he likes how babies like. He thought the idea of babies talking like adults was hilarious. Yeah. And then he gets the idea of them as Supreme Court judges called the Supreme Folk. Where during day the judges and at night they live in one house and play folk music together, <laughs> which is a show I probably watch. It reminds <laughs> me of like those like my mother is a car like <laughs> really bad sitcoms that are like the premise is everything <laughs> like, like uh, uh, Small Wonder. Which is that Small Wonder, where no. the little girl's a robot. Not familiar, no. Oh, it was... Uh, this may be blasphemy to a lot of people's youths, but it was horrible. <laughs> it was so horrible, it was good. I actually enjoyed it as a kid, knowing it was bad. <laughs> yeah, I remember it. So, so yeah, he... Uh, at a trade show, Mickey is singing an ad for Sure Flow catheters. <laughs> oh, <laughs> cringe so hard. Potential down the drain. Song... Yeah. The, her song has the word penis clamp in it, so that gives you some, <laughs> some idea of how it went. But uh, well, she's a musician. She just that's what she does. She has to be there. Yeah, and so she's concerned that Mitch took the kiss too seriously. Uh, yeah, that it was just an act, but she thinks he took it too far. Mitch, meanwhile, is writing poetry again. He's at his most creative he's ever been, but he's kind of worried that Mickey took the kiss too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> And they're both lying to themselves. I think they both still love each other, and I still ship it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I ship it hard. Penis clamps and all. Mitch does not watch Powerpuff Girls that we know of. <laughs> he also <laughs> has a better idea for Crabtown. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it would look better in the autumn, you have to admit. Crabville. <laughs> <laughs> the folksmen are now working at a casino. And uh, Harry Shearer is transgender now. <laughs> she still has the Which is the weirdest deep, thing. Still has the deep bass bo- voice that she had when she was a man, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. Like when she's singing, like the E R O. 
it's a it's pretty entertaining. Her whole monologue about wanting after doing the show and then realizing, well, whatever amount of life I have left, I realized that I wasn't a bald, uh, what do you say, a, a bald bearded folk singer. I was a <laughs> blonde-haired, big-breasted folk singer, whatever it was. Yeah. And I wanted to live the rest of my life as much of that as I could. And I thought I, it was just a great little speech that she gives. I love the, like, I wanted to spend the most of my rest of life making music with these boys and the, all of the rest of it as a woman. It yeah. Just, it, just, it feels so out of nowhere, and that's where the humor comes from. But we get the credits over uh, Old Joe's Place. The credits are handled really interestingly, actually, because they have all the names on the screen at once, filling up the whole screen in gray. Yeah, well, and then it repeats them, too. I noticed that. Yeah, and in alphabetical order, the names will like light up like a digital clock or like a scoreboard. Yeah, that's really cool. I, That's also very creative. I've never seen that done before. Yeah, it was interesting. And so our movie is done. We get some more songs over the credits. But the movie itself is done, and there's no post-credit scene. So I, I waited for the stinger. Yeah, I, I'm God damn it, I paid, I did too. I paid, uh, let's see, two ninety nine twice for this movie. <laughs> That's more than Which, I paid. <laughs> I yeah, I not. Uh, I I think it was worth it. I think if out of any of the movies we reviewed that you had to actually pay for. Probably good that it was this one. <laughs> yeah, if it was I'd, any I'd, of the other ones, I'd have been pretty pissed. But it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. First up is, I guess, our our MVP for the for the production. Uh, the person who deserves a shout-out for their work in relation to this movie, whether good or bad. So, Rob, who do you think uh, is a particular standout in terms of production on this movie? Actor-wise or director-wise or whoever. Uh, I think... I'm looking at my list here, and basically I wrote down anybody that that uh, I thought had... Would, did already going into it or would have coming out of it any significance. And I want to say the least one was going to be Larry, Larry Miller, which I did not expect from him to be a one scene deal. But um, I think Harry Shearer really steals the show. And uh, Mike McKean was who I was expecting to, you know, he reminds me of uh, John Ritter in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking that too. Yeah, I mean, I get that vibe. I get a lot of that vibe. But yeah, it's uh, uh, Harry Shearer. Just, I mean, the improv, the the vocals, the the plot twist. <laughs> to me, he stole the show. I mean, if you can get over, um, if you can get over uh, Catherine O'Hara, which I never will be able to. <laughs> but bias aside, yeah, Harry Shearer and Brody. I'd have to say Eugene Levy. Eugene Levy, Canadian. I love Eugene Levy. Yeah. No, no, I, I love Eugene Levy. Um, I think he gave a very unique role, one that I wasn't expecting. and He definitely throws he, you for a loop when he first comes out. Yeah, yeah. and also... I would just say, like, I mean, um, he co-wrote he, the movie as well. And 
Just yeah. like when they talk about him as a character, you know, there's a lot of build up before you actually meet him as a character. And it's kind of interesting that like, this guy's pretty fed up. Let's see, you know, what kind of headspace he's in now. <laughs> well, and like also the the chemistry between him and Catherine O'Hara is amazing. And whenever they're together, it's really heartwarming and like the actual last scene where they're actually performing a kiss at the end of the rainbow was also extremely heartwarming i think uh and eugene levy surprised me more than ways than once because he's like he's an amazing singer he's great at harmonizing like he just blew me away can can i say that um i as soon as i got that first scene of them actually talking to each other i i have in my notes eugene levy and uh katherine o'hara portlandia that's like yeah. that's where that came from. That has to be where uh the basis from Slater Kenny and Fred Armisen <laughs> I hate myself for forgetting her name right now. But I mean that is like that's gotta be the source for that. I'd say my MVP for this movie is in all aspects of production, uh Christopher Guest. Because not only you know is he acting, he does perfectly adequate job singing and great job harmonizing with everyone else and he plays his instrument uh but you know he directed the movie which is hard to do as an actor he wrote it and he also co-wrote all the music which is fantastic and so you know it's 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 almost like a nick giannopoulos done right like <laughs> like i always yeah. have to respect the auteurs who just kind of have like their hands in all aspects of the production and really it shines through uh, so, yeah, I think he deserves a shout-out. So, first impressions going into this movie. Uh, how did they change after seeing the movie, Rob? Um, well, okay, the first time, <laughs> a month ago or so, or whenever it was we were supposed to do this, I rented it and I watched the first, like, five or six minutes of it. And so I had a little bit in my head... But I was just more pissed off that I had paid three bucks for this movie and I didn't get to watch it and I had to put you guys off. Um, so when I came into it the second time, I kind of, it wasn't quite as blind as it should have been, but I still didn't know if it was going to be good or bad. All I knew is that it definitely was Spinal Tap with folk music. That's, I, I still didn't hit the Wikipedia or the IMDb. So I, but I did have that expectation of Spinal Tap with folk music. And I got to say, the only thing that changed was my expectations were exceeded. Um, I expected to see, you know, a, a moderately amusing movie because you cannot have this cast without a couple chuckles. And uh, and I was I was impressed beyond what I thought I would be. I think Eugene Levy, for sure. I still think Harry Shearer stole the show for me, but I think Eugene Levy delivered a convincing uh, performance the way Brody was saying that I at first the first few times that you see him I really didn't buy it at first and as the character goes along you just like he he commits so fully and he never breaks and not even not a facial tick not a movement the only time he breaks his character is that slight little bit on stage when he says I just wanted a drink of water that like that's it, you know. He he cracks a little joke. That's it out of the whole movie. And like you said, he's on stage. So for me, that was the hugest change. Was just 
actually believing in like him as a character as opposed to oh I'm I'm just looking at you Eugene Levy doing a dumb voice you know <laughs> yeah. he he yeah. made me believe that he was Mitch which is impressive yeah yeah and so Brody uh, what were you thinking going into this movie and how did that change I saw the cover I'm like oh no it's gonna be bad I. My friend came over to watch it with me, and he's like, oh, I've seen the other movies these guys have done, and they're, they're really good. These guys are actually from, like, uh, Spinal Tap. I'm like, really? So I'm like, maybe it will, it will be good. So we watched them. I'm like, oh, my God. This is great. Like, it was a lot better than I had expected, and I actually really liked it. And... I had one small problem, but it wouldn't work with this movie. It's the fact that they kept building up that Eugene Levy was an angry person. And that had potential to come back as foreshadowing as him doing a big thing. But I'm glad they didn't. It would have ruined him. It would have ruined it. And it it wouldn't have been as heartwarming. I, um... When I got this, this was the one I had the highest hopes for, definitely. And I think something on the cover said something like a folk music spinal tap. So that's kind of what I was going in expecting. But I was expecting it to be a like a total blatant ripoff. I didn't look at the cover close enough to even realize that it actually had spinal tap in it, and it was <laughs> by the same people. And kind of so like the people in the audience when they played as the folksmen at a spinal tap show, yeah. they didn't know it. I, so I totally was caught unaware like just how every person showed up and like why do i know every single actor who's in this movie and so that was re- really surprising the fact that it was actually like a a quality production and not some like canadian spinal tap ripoff that eugene levy agreed to star in which i could see that happening exactly um and so uh quote what what was your favorite quote in the whole movie i think you said it earlier oh mine yes uh i i well i got the two but yeah it's it's the uh when when the uh jonathan and his sister and his and their brother are sitting there and she and he says we don't see each other often (laughs) and she says we don't need to (laughs) <laughs> I I got that, and I got when Jonathan gets hit on the head because he goes, "Is that a wire?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Th- those are those are my two favorite. So Brody, I have a tie as well. Um, mine, it's between. Yeah, he's talking about how they rode Chutland ponies instead of horses because his mom used to say, "Well, if he's going to fall, he should he shouldn't fall from so very high." I just really like how it's worded, too. <laughs> like, there's so many better ways you can word that. And the other one that I really like is, you know, those last few years, okay, I'm remembering some things now. There was a lot of fighting going on. <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> um, yeah, my favorite, I said it earlier, is uh, Mitch's quote about chambermaids hotel chambermaids and playing oh, yeah. find the cobra <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is is even hard to imagine him in like that kind of person at all like playing find yeah. the cobra with a hotel I, it almost feels like he said that because he felt that's what he was supposed to say as opposed to 
you know, what he actually did. He's like, oh, this is what the other bands, the other guys in the other bands were talking about. Like, but then at the same time, you see the album covers when they first introduce him, and you think, ah, guy had some Zappa in him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who would we recommend this to? Oh, any musician, period. Any musician and anyone that's a fan of just good, intelligent comedy. Yeah. Rody? Uh, I agree. Anyone who's uh, a musician, likes music. I also would recommend this to anybody who's into Canadian humor or SCTV. Yeah, yeah. Well, they got like a lot of the cast there. Yeah. Well, I, I guess Eugene Levy. I don't know much of the other cast. With um, um, what's his name from uh, 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 Michael Hitchcock? I think was uh, part of Second City. Oh wow. Hmm. Um, I would recommend this to, I'd say folk music fans, but yeah, just really music fans in general because it's good songs. Unless you're like one of those stuck-up people, it's like. <laughs> Those people that say, oh, I listen to everything but country or rap, and then if it's not, like, radio popular, what is this garbage? <laughs> <laughs> like, people who, you know, actually appreciate music, uh, absolutely, because there's some really good heartfelt tunes in here, and yeah, fans of Spinal Tap, 100%, you're gonna love this. It's more uh, sincere than Spinal Tap, and so, as a result, yeah. he's afraid to go as, like, edgy with the characters, really. But he doesn't really need to because no, the cast. Yeah. I th- I think Spinal Tap definitely focuses on them, and the rest of this the surrounding cast are bit parts. This one it focuses on everyone. You get the main storyline of yeah. uh, uh, Mitch and Mickey, but yeah. everybody. It's really an ensemble movie. Yeah, and I would say this one not necessarily as funny as Spinal Tap, but it's got a lot more heart. Like it's a, you know, it's a. It's not a knee slapper. It's a chuckler, but but it definitely gets you in the feels more often. Yeah, yeah. And so we get down to the final question, just a simple a yay or a nay, a yes or a no. It's it's like a rating system, but we don't have numbers. <laughs> it's a binary rating system. Yeah, exactly. It's zero or it's 100. It's zero or one. <laughs> So, is it a yay or a nay for you, Rob? I give it a yay. Give it a yay? Brody? Okay, so this is kind of complicated. It's a yes or no <laughs> question. You do this every time. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Okay, so I guess... Uh, it's teeter-totter. You've been singing the songs from this movie at me for a week. Yeah, I'm just coming with you. It's a yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me, I thought it was a ridiculous documentary. Very unrealistic. <laughs> My actually, Originally, I was planning on uh, reviewing the whole thing as if it was taking itself seriously. And I just oh, couldn't, couldn't bring the comedy chops to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing, too. <laughs> but, uh... But, uh Oh yeah, yeah. I thought this was great. Surprise, which makes it like damn hard to review, and I'm never doing a good movie on this show again. Yeah, I gotta <laughs> say, I came into this. You asked me to be a guest, and I was delighted, thinking I would get to shred a, a you it's know so much easier. crappy movie. 
And you made me put work and feeling and, like, thought into stuff. It's so and much easier to just cut down a movie. It, it Well, and I haven't got to do that in a long time. <laughs> so I really want to. So uh, yay oh, or nay geez. on uh, on you, Clairvoyant. I, I've got to say it's a... It's a... <laughs> you... For this one, but I but I did enjoy being here. The Profanity Orchestra piece today, fittingly enough, has been A Mighty Wind, from the movie A Mighty Wind. I hope you enjoyed our season. Remember that you can enter to win A Hunchback of Notre Dame, The Last Keepers, The Wannabes, The Water Babies, and A Mighty Wind for free right now. Go to our Facebook, Blind Buy Podcast, or Twitter at Blind Buy for details. You can also follow Bloody Brody at Bloody Brody and Rob at Zombie Slag on Twitter. Special thanks to Rob Weeks for gracing our presence. HHWLOD for hosting us, my parents for letting me break in and record in their basement until past 1am this time, and Eugene Levy's agent, who corrected me that Eugene Levy, in fact, would not do this podcast even if we did offer him a sandwich. If you like The Clairvoyant, which I know you do, go check out his reviews on thegameofnerds.com. There's lots of fun, crazy reviews, and you can watch him reviewing Fargo and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and random thoughts that pops in his head, so go do it. All music for this episode is royalty-free and provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. It is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. For more information, please visit creativecommons.org.